Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is TJ Clausen. I'm the youth director here at Lex City. And you might be thinking, well, you must be so excited about this series because it is literally your job to be in the know with all the lingo and social media of students. And I'm probably an expert at all things social media. Wrong, okay? I am one of those rare millennials who never really got into much of social media. In fact, if I didn't work with students, I probably wouldn't even use the few that I do have. Uh, I have not always been, like I said, a big social media user. I'm not anti-social media by any means. I've been on all of them. All right, MySpace actually was pretty awesome way back in the day. Uh, I've gone into my MySpace page before, so I won't go down that rabbit trail this morning. Facebook was only cool because it had Farmville at the beginning. Anyone like in that Facebook era? Uh, and then Instagram, I'm only on because I wanted to follow one account, which is Jerry of the Day, which is just stupid people at ski resorts that give me a laugh every day. Um, but like I said, I'm just not super into social media. But that being said, Be Real has actually been one of the funnest things over this past year. And I do feel pretty proud of myself because Be Real was really the only ever social media app that I was on before most people even knew about it. Okay, I was on it like a year ago and I was so new that when I downloaded Be Real, there was only two people that I could even follow who already had it and they were two of our students. So Caleb and Maddie, you guys are the real pioneers of the app. But it's been so fun over this last year to watch people like discover this app and use it. And it's really just been this new, genuine kind of social media. And so it's been really fun to see it grow. Now, before though you think and give me too much credit that I'm just that good at being in tune with culture, let me share with you my secret of how I actually found Be Real, okay? Any students that are in the room, you're about to find out I'm not as cool and in the know as you guys all believe that I am. All right, my secret to staying connected with teen culture is an awesome resource called the Culture Translator, okay? If you're here and you have a teenager in your life or you're a grandparent or you just wanna know what's going on in culture, Culture Translator is an awesome weekly email that comes out on Friday that just gives you a quick snapshot of anything relevant that happened that week in specifically Gen Z culture that's helpful to know. And so just to prove its effectiveness and usefulness, pretty much a year ago to date in April, there was a weekly email and there was a little excerpt that said, watch out for this new app called Be Real. We really think it has potential to be something that Gen Z loves to use. And now look at us a year later. So shout out to the culture translator. But the fact that us adults are now using Be Real and talking about it and even doing a church series on it, have we just ruined the app for Gen Z? Yes, 100% we did, okay? But while it's still alive, let's have a little fun with it and kind of looking at the way that the app works and really talking about how it can correlate to our spiritual lives. Because really when it comes to being a Christian, be Real is really supposed to be like that example of what a Christian life is. Our faith is not supposed to be something that we uh, perform at and kind of put the best version out like Instagram. It's, our faith is not supposed to be about just having the best arguments, which is kind of what Facebook has become. It's really this idea of at any moment, take a look at my life and see who Jesus is. And so really quickly, if you've been so confused as we've been referencing Be Real over these last two weeks, let me just quickly 
give you some education on what this app is, okay? It's a social media app. It's a photo sharing app. But what makes it a little bit different is you can only share photos and see photos from the people that you are following. So it's a little more exclusive. And you can only post once a day. And it's supposed to be you have two minutes to post from when you get the notification on your phone. And then what makes it really fun and really interesting is it actually takes a picture with both your cameras, the one facing out and the one facing back at you. And that's what kind of is the be realness of the app. It's not something you can filter. It's not something you can time. It's not even something you can avoid because it's going to take a picture of you while you're taking the picture. The app is really going for authenticity. And that's kind of what I want to spend a little time on talking this morning about being real with our actions in how we live our lives. And so to do that, we're going to look at the book of James together. And if you want to follow along on your phone, you can always go to lexity.info. There's message notes and all the scripture there. Also, if you want to sign your teenager up for a lock-in so you don't have to deal with them for an entire night this summer, you can do that there. Everything LexCity-wise is at lexity.info. But message notes are there for you today. And some quick context before we get into this passage of what the book of James is. All right, the book of James, it was written by James of Nazareth, who was the oldest of Jesus's younger brothers. After Jesus's death and his resurrection, James goes on to be a major leader in the early church movement. And here's the cool part about James. This letter from James is actually the oldest New Testament letter that we have. And it was written to the earliest form of the beginning church. Now, you might be asking, though, okay, if this is the oldest letter, why is it pretty much at the almost back of my Bible? All right, quick little Bible history for you. The Bible that we have, this collection of letters from early church leaders, is organized purposefully, not always chronologically. And so it starts the New Testament with your historical books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, that talk about what Jesus does, talks about the beginning of the church. And then the early church fathers felt the next most useful books would be to have all of Paul's letters in a row. And so they're all organized from largest to shortest because they felt Paul's would be the most uh, practical for new believers, for new churches. If you were trying to get into who is Jesus and what does he say to do, Paul was going to be the most practical. And then James is a part of this second chunk of letters called the General Epistles. And these were the letters that are named more after the author as opposed to who they were wrote to, like all of Paul's letters. And so quickly, just to keep the social media analogy going, all right, Paul's letters are kind of like DMs to specific churches, where you have James and the general epistles are more like a Facebook post that's just supposed to encourage and equip the general uh, developing church. And so here's what's interesting about James. Even though it's the oldest of the New Testament letters, I think it's actually one of the most relevant letters to modern American Christianity. And we're going to look a little bit about why that's so. And so just to introduce the letter, start with me at the very first verses, James 1.1. He writes this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And so James starts his letter by writing to the 12 tribes, which is just this poetic way of greeting his Jewish brothers and sisters. Because think about it and realize that the early church is still primarily a Jewish thing. The very first followers of Jesus were primarily Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and now they've been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire because of persecution. So why is James, this early church leader of this church that's still hubbed out of Jerusalem, why is it relevant to us as the 21st century Christians? 
Well, think again for a second about Judaism. Judaism was very much kind of an institutionalized religion. To grow up in Jerusalem, the laws of God were a part of everything that you did. Every, everything, the whole way the structure was built was around these laws of God. And so it was kind of this religion that had really got passed down as a lot of head knowledge. Everybody knew what they were supposed to do. They knew what the Ten Commandments were. They knew what all the laws were. But it hadn't always been passed down as like a heart knowledge or something that people really understood the purpose behind. In fact, this was Jesus's main critique of the religious leaders of the day. He says, you guys know all the things about the Bible. You know all that God has done and all that he has done through history, but yet they missed who Jesus was because they didn't perceive in their hearts of what the purpose was behind these things. Literally, the people who had the entire Old Testament memorized word for word missed the word when he was right in front of them because they hadn't understood in their hearts what God was doing and what, he was, what his purpose was and his plan was through Jesus. And I think the Church of America has become really similar in ways. Yes, culture is shifting very much from Christian ideals, but they are still what America was founded on. The world that you grew up in was still pretty Christian saturated. I would say still most of America has a head knowledge of what the things of the Bible are. But I think the church itself is becoming like those who know the things about God up here, but hasn't really moved down to here. See, many Christians know about the word of God, but would they also miss the word if he came and visited them right now? How do we protect ourselves from the danger of inheriting our Christianity and not having an experience of true faith that's in our lives? Well, James has advice for us. We're gonna go down to James 1.22. He says this. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, but then goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. That person's religious is, religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James uses this great phrase that I absolutely love. He says, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And here's his warning to us. He says, if you are just a hearer of the word, you actually deceive yourself. And this word that he uses that gets translated as deceived, it's a Greek word. It's actually used only one other time in the entire New Testament. And if you love that type of stuff, I won't spoil it for you. You can go find it this week. But this is the nuance and kind of the meaning of the word that James uses. It means this. It's persuasiveness of speech or the putting forth of seemingly plausible arguments undergirded by dangerously false information. In other words, it's the self, the, uh, it's the, the self-justifying that we do with ourselves all the time, right? Fun example of that. You're sitting down, you go, I don't have time to watch a whole movie. That wouldn't be a good use of my time. But then you binge watch four episodes of some show and without realizing it, you've sat down the exact same amount of time as if you would have just watched a movie. Anybody else have that happen, right? Or you fall for the argument of, I can hit that snooze one more time and I will still have enough time to get done everything I need in the morning and not be running late. I deceive myself with that argument at least once a week. But we are really good at persuading ourselves 
when we have our own little debates in our head, right? Because we're smart. And so the things we convince ourselves of are plausible outcomes, they're plausible arguments. But the danger is when we deceive ourselves or we convince ourselves with information that isn't true. And this is the word and the nuance that James is emphasizing in this analogy. He says, hey, longtime religious people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, you are in danger of deceiving yourself that you're good with God because you know all of the right things. And here's the danger for them, and I think the danger for us too, is we don't realize we're creating a useless faith. James gives an analogy to prove the point. He goes back, he says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James is saying, if you aren't gonna remember what you look like, what was the point of even going to the mirror in the first place? That trip, was, that trip to the mirror was pointless if you walk away and forget what you had even just looked at. They deceive themselves. If you are just a hearer of the word and that's all the deeper that the word is gonna penetrate, he's saying, why did you even go to the word? What was the point of this if all you're gonna do is just listen to it and hear it? And the real danger is James is just saying, we deceive ourselves with the false information that just hearing and knowing is enough. And I think today a lot of Christians are guilty of believing that plausible argument or guilty of just packing out churches on Sunday morning and being hearers of the word, but then they leave and they don't do anything with it and yet they feel like they've accomplished something. James says, we deceive ourselves if that's what we view as our faith. We hear the word, we feel the conviction, we connect with him in this moment of worship, but then we go and we don't do anything else with it throughout the rest of the week. What was the point? It says, it's as pointless as going to a mirror and then forgetting what you looked at. Why even go? And I think, again, we believe the plausible argument we tell ourselves that if I just get to church, if I just sit there and would just listen, then I'm just gonna make me a better Christian. It's gonna give me that spiritual emphasis that I need to just get through my week and be a good person. And the reality is it doesn't work, right? That spiritual momentum we feel like we built while being here on Sunday is gone before we get halfway through the workday on Monday. Why? Because just sitting and hearing is not gonna really grow our faith. In fact, you know, the greatest proof, I think, that us as Christians have kind of really become hearers and not doers of the word, talk to anybody who works in the food industry, all right? A Christian Post article interviewed restaurant servers and asked them this question. They asked them, generally speaking, on Sundays, how were you treated by the people who had just come from church? Here was the top response. I absolutely hate working on Sundays having to deal with the church crowd. They are always the loudest, most demanding, and rudest people, especially when they come in as a group. They run you like crazy and then leave the most pitiful tip and a gospel tract. Another person responded to this uh, interview and she was actually a Christian who works in the food industry. And she says the way that Christians act actually make it harder for her to even share the gospel with her coworkers. She said this, she said, no one ever wanted to work Sundays because of the church crews. I never understood how they could go to church, but less than 20 minutes after leaving be the worst example of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. 
See, we're deceiving ourselves if what we hear here can't even impact the very first thing we do when we leave church on a Sunday morning. To come, to worship, to pack a church and feel like that in itself has accomplished something but not have it actually affect what we do and how we treat other people, we deceive ourselves and we really, Paul says, or James says, what you're doing here is really useless. And I think if we are hearers and we're doers, we're hearers and not doers long enough, we can become even worse. We can, can become sayers of the word and not doers of the word. Right? And I think justifiably Christianity today has started to be defined as hypocrisy because we have a lot of Christians who are sayers of what God says to do, but they're not doers themselves. Right? We preach love, but then we tell some people that God would never forgive them. We preach unity, but we don't even get along with people that go to a different church in our own town. We preach self-control, but then we binge ourselves during the week. We preach respect, but then we abuse our own families behind closed doors. See, when we're hearers of the word and not doers, we deceive ourselves. I think when we're sayers of the word and not doers, we deceive others. And if American Christianity was on be real, it would probably not be a good look. Because again, the realness of be real is that it takes a picture of what's behind the camera as well as what you're seeing, right? It's not like Instagram where Instagram's the best place to just post that perfect picture, right? Like you can throw a picture like this on Instagram, you get all the filters, it's the beautiful moment and everybody can just look at it. You put out the best version because no one has to know what's behind the camera when you take this photo. That really to get this photo, you're doing more like this, right? Not as beautiful of a moment anymore. If you wanna have a genuine, useful faith, both sides of the camera have to match. Your doing has to match your hearing and your saying. And if it doesn't, James says, you're deceiving yourself. To just know the right thing to do, but not do it isn't gonna bring any goodness to your life. To call yourself a Christian and not have a tangible life that looks like Jesus with the people that you interact with, it's pointless for you and it's pointless for other people. It's like going to a mirror and then immediately forgetting what you looked at. What was the point of using the mirror? But here's the hope. If we can learn to have a real tangible response to God's word, to be doers of his word, it'll change our lives. James tells us how to do that. Again, in verses 25 and 27, this is how he says to do it. He says, be the one who looks, or but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James says those who are doers will be blessed. It's those who actually act upon the things that God is telling to them and what his word says to them that get to experience the blessings in their life. It's the understanding that as we act on his word, that's when we really get to experience the benefits and the blessings and the things that come from what God says for our lives. And I know this has been true of my life. There have been many times where I've known God has said that I should do something. And my first thought is, I don't know if that's really what I wanna do, right? God, that sounds really hard. That's gonna take some sacrifice. If I'm honest, that's not really what I want to do in this moment. 
But I know this, that every time I choose to follow through and I choose to actually do what God prompts me to do, that's when I get to experience the blessings and the love and the joy that comes from doing what God wants me to do. I can go back to just even the most recently, just back in November. I was, remember, sitting in church and I felt this prompting and calling of like, I feel like God wants me to go join the mission trip that we were taking to Miami. There was a couple of different reasons I felt like I wanted to go. I wanted to plan a trip for students in the summer. And so I thought maybe Miami will be a cool place to go get connected. But then also as I was sitting there, I was just feeling like this conviction of, I haven't actually gone on a trip myself to go serve other people since I was in college. And I love getting to plan trips for students and I love leading trips for students, but I hadn't been on a trip that I wasn't in charge of or planned or had to run all the logistics of since I started working in ministry. And so I felt like God was calling me of like, hey, this is an opportunity for you to go and serve. But my initial thought was not, yes, I should do that. I initially sat there and I thought, well, it's not going to work in my calendar. Uh, If I want to go, I'd have to go a day late and fly there all by myself because I was going to be in Kansas City with my wife for one of our friend's weddings. Financially, I was like, I don't really want to pay for a trip right now to go do that. Uh, I didn't want to go through the work of the logistics of having to plan youth group to run a week without me. And so I had all these things of why I didn't really feel like I wanted to go. But I remember sitting there and telling myself like, no, I feel like God is saying, go do this. And so I went on the trip and the reality is it's only because I went that I got to experience the blessings of making some new friends within my own church, to be able to be reminded of how amazing it feels to just go and serve other people 100% of your time for a week. It's only because I went that my life is better and I'm more blessed because I acted on my faith and sacrificing a week to go serve other people. Those who act experience the blessings. Yes, it's a blessing to read his word. Yes, it's a blessing to hear his word, but it's when we actually act upon his word that we experience the blessings in our life. That's what grows your faith. That's what allows you to experience the fruit of your faith. That's what satisfies your faith is when it's useful and when it's practical and when you're using it in your days, Monday through Saturday. And so how do we be a doer? James gives us two parts, two parts of being a doer of the word. Number one is love others, and number two is be holy. Love others and be holy. James starts with love others, and you want practicality? James says, visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, does that mean you have to leave straight from church and go to an orphanage or go find a widow? No, but at the same time, why not? Right? Why not go do exactly that? Go spend time with an orphan or with a widow and tell me that that doesn't do something for your soul. To love on and care about someone who has no one right now that's been loving on them or thinking of them or caring about them. James says the reality is if what you hear here doesn't impact someone else's life, then you're being a hearer and not a doer. And so how's your love for other people? Is your faith, would people describe you as a Christian because of how you love other people? Let me stay with the Be Real app analogy, right? Be Real, the fun thing about it is you post once a day and it's a random time that you have to post. Well, if there was a random moment where you had to take a picture of your day and how you're doing at loving people, how likely at any random moment would that photo show you loving somebody else? Yeah, obviously, if it went off on a Sunday morning, great, right? Take your picture of you in Kid City, like, look at how I'm loving on everybody. 
But what if the notification went off while you were getting your own family ready for church this morning? Right? Oh, it'd be great, yeah, if that notification goes off while you're at your kid's sports game or recital and you're supporting them or you're hanging out with friends. But please don't have that notification go off while I'm at work, right? Please don't have that notification go off when I'm at lunch and I know that I talk this certain way about people. Don't have this notification go off when I have to deal with that person or when I have to be in that situation. See, if there are consistent patterns in your life where you know that situation or that person is not a time where you would want that camera turned back on you, that might be an area that you need to start being more of a doer of the word. Because the reality is how we love others is what points people to Jesus. Jesus says this to his own followers back in John 13. He says, they will know you follow me by your love for others. I think we have the head knowledge that Jesus loves everybody. We know that he forgave our greatest mistakes ever, like John had talked about. But the reality is if we just know that and we don't allow it to actually move down here and how we interact with other people, we're guilty of being hearers of God's love and not doers. Right? To know of God's grace is useless if we're not extending that grace to the people that we encounter and the people that we interact with around us. Then James also says, keep yourself unstained from the world. Or simply put, be holy. That's just what holiness means. It means to be separate, to be distinct. When you truly believe that Jesus has saved you from a life of pursuing pleasure apart from him, and you really understand that there's freedom and there's goodness in following what God says for you, it will change the life that you live. We are so good, I think, at rationalizing and justifying our sinful behaviors at times. This is when we can be the most deceitful and self-justifying to ourselves, right? We sit in, in a service and we, we feel the conviction. We know what God says we should do. But then if that notification went off to take a picture in the middle of the week, how, how much would it look like what we said we were gonna be doing at the beginning of the week? One of my favorite examples of what holiness looks like is Galatians 5. What does it look like to be distinct apart from the world? Galatians 5, 19 through 25 gives us a list. It says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he gives us another list in verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been cruci have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I love this, a comparative list, right? What does it look like to be distinct from the world? Well, if that notification went off randomly throughout the weekday to take a picture of your life, is it more likely to find you in a moment of kindness or show you in a moment of selfish ambition? Is it more likely to go off and find you in a moment of envy or a moment of love? And this isn't about performative faith. This isn't about perfection. It's about being real with ourselves and recognizing, is what I'm hearing leading to what I'm doing? Is there evidence of your faith Monday through Saturday and how you live your everyday life that if someone had the ability to snap a be real at any moment in your day, in your week, in your work, 
how likely are they to see you using your faith in that moment? And if that question makes you a little more anxious than it does confident, then maybe it's a question of maybe I need to see, have I been being a hearer and not a doer? Because this is what it means to be real with your faith. If you want to have a real and impactful faith, it's about what you do with your actions. If you really wanna have a real, genuine, useful faith, it's about being a doer. It's about not just hearing, but doing what the word says. James says, don't just be a hearer who forgets, be a doer who acts and you'll be blessed in your doing. If it never moves from your head to your heart, to your mouth, to your hands, to your feet, then it's not being useful for you and it's not being useful for others. Come, be a hearer of the word, come worship, come connect with the Lord, but then leave and go do with what you hear him speaking to you in these moments. It should impact how you love others this week. It should impact how you grow in holiness this week. Let me just close with this, okay? James, he doesn't write this letter to tear down and shame the early Christians. I don't take you to this letter to tear you down or shame you in your faith. It's the opposite. This is, James says, this is a warning so that you get to experience the blessings of what your faith is supposed to do in your life. This is the encouraging part. This is the promise that if you act on what God says to do, you get to experience blessings in your life. If you go to the mirror and you do remember what you look like, it's the most useful thing you do in the morning. The same is true if you go to the word and you allow it to get into your heart in a way that it actually changes how you act, it's the most useful thing your faith can do for you. So today, don't be discouraged, be encouraged. Be excited to say, okay, God, give me opportunities to be a doer this week. I want to experience what that looks like. And here's the guarantee. If you go into your week looking for opportunities to be a doer of the word, you will find them everywhere. Because every day you have opportunities to love others and to be holy. And as you do those two things, your life will benefit from the blessings and the joy and the purpose that comes from what God is calling us to do. You will have the most be real life that someone could look at you and at any moment see evidence of Jesus, what he's done for you and what he's calling you to do. And it'll be an attractive thing that they want to be a part of. That the joy, the love, the inspiration of having a purpose and acting on God's word and plan for you will be evident with the people that you interact with. It's not about perfection. It's not about performance. It's about authentic faith a faith that moves you from just being a hearer to being a doer of what God says for us to do. So this week, today, when we leave, let's be doers of what we hear God telling us to do and watch how it blesses us and it blesses the people around us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you just for the truth of your word this morning. God, we apologize for the weeks that we have come and left as merely a hearer of the word. And if we're honest with ourselves and we look at our lives, there are even areas where we have maybe been a sayer of the word and not a doer. So God, help us this week to take the conviction, the guidance that you give us and act upon it. 
Let us leave this morning with the excitement to be a doer of the word and experience how it blesses us and how it blesses others. God, we love you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.